Actually, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to talk about roads in general. I'm going to talk about one road in particular that I think is probably fairly appropriate to our conference this time, and I'm going to talk about the road between here and Virginia City. And the reason I picked that particular route is because there's a lot of places that you can still see the old road, and you can see a piece of Montana history that really you can't see anywhere else on that road. So if you're, is that okay with everybody? Great. All right, so I'm going to call it at least at first the Bozeman Trail because it originated as the Bozeman Trail in 1864, and it, but it was only known as that for really a few years until the military closed the road down in 1868, or the uh, Treaty of Fort Laramie closed it down in 68. But there's also some disagreement among historians about where the Bozeman Trail actually ended. Um, I've been involved in a few of these discussions, and they got um, uh, heated enough that I got to kind of wonder, you know, does it really matter in the long run? But it's still fun to do. And uh, just like, you know, you used to argue over the Battle of Little Bighorn or, or whether Hitler should have invaded Russia, you know, the same type of thing. Maybe not on the same scale. But um, I'm of the opinion the Bozeman Trail ended at Virginia City, since that really was the ultimate goal of the people who intended to use it or who did use it was to end up there. And so I'm going to go with it, the Bozeman Trail went all the way to Virginia City. All right, see if I can get this thing to work. There we go. There's the man of the hour, John Bozeman. Came to Montana, I believe, in 1862. Um, found that he was a failed gold miner and then decided to do what a lot of people did, and that was to try and make money in other ways by mining the miners. And in this case, his intent was to uh, establish a new trail from the, uh, the Overland Trail up to, uh, up to Virginia City. It was a shortcut. But as probably most of you know, what was the problem with that particular trail? Indians. The Indians. The Indians didn't like the trail so well. So eventually um, the, the military did close it down after a lot of um, battles along the route. But um, the section between Bozeman and Virginia City was relatively tame. There were no Indians, but there probably was some, some kind of excitement. I'm still doing a little digging on the road, but I just haven't found all that I've been uh, hoping to find just yet. Um, so John Bozeman, kind of a controversial character, um, kind of interesting, but uh, we're not going to talk about him anymore today. So just to go. He's the only real headshot that I had in all this. So. All right, here's a round of the trail um, from about the vicinity of Casper, Wyoming, north up through the Potter River country to the Yellowstone River and down, down the Yellowstone over the uh, Bridgers to Bozeman and then directly to the west of Bozeman down to Virginia City. It was an important route between here and Virginia City, mainly because a lot of the agricultural products sold in the mining camps came from the Gallatin Valley. So it was a pretty heavily traveled part of the road and saw a lot of use during the time that it was, that it was active, just like it kind of does now, but in a, in a different way. All right, um, I also have to throw out a kudo to my co-worker, Joe O'Neill, at the highway department. We've got the best map makers that I've seen anywhere. And uh, he took time off to do this map for me, just to show you what the route was from, oh, about the Madison River down to Virginia City. If you go directly west out of, out of Bozeman on Highway 84, you're pretty much on the Bozeman Trail all the way down to the Madison River. All right, I got to keep it short too, so I can't be too verbose today. 
Uh, the first, there's really four segments of the road where you, that I think are important enough for, the, for our talk today. The first one is called Black's Crossing or Black's Ford. And it's right when you get to the top of the hill on Highway 84 and you start to go down to the Madison River. And if you look down towards the river, you'll see a big fishing access site. But if you were to take the road instead of curving off to the left like it does now and you went straight across the river, that's where Black's Ford is. And on a good day, you can still see the Ford. And uh, unfortunately, when I was down there taking photographs, all you could see was a lot of smoke. So we'll have to make do with that today. Um, let's see, let me get a little range here. It's uh, Black's Ford is named for a man named William Black, who showed up here, I believe, in the 1870s. He came long after the, Boz the great days of the Bozeman Trail. Uh, he raised horses on his ranch, and he also grew potatoes, which he sold to um, grocery stores here in, in, in Bozeman. It was a stage stop on the road between Bozeman and Virginia City, and then occasionally it appeared in newspaper accounts of people who were making fact-finding tours of the country between Bozeman and Virginia City. Uh, Bozeman Weekly Chronicle reporter and several companions made the trip in, uh, in July of 1883, and he described uh, pretty much a lot of the fine bench land between Black's Ford and Bozeman in his article, but then he gets, they spent the night at Black's Ranch here at the crossing. It says here the party stopped for the night at Black's Ranch where they were quote hospitably entertained and with keen appetites they discussed the merits of fried chicken and fixins. <laughs> Sounds like it was a good night had by all. He was born in, in 1837. He was a native of Kentucky and he and his wife Sarah arrived in Montana by about 1878. And the land that they lived on here, which is just to the north of the crossing, where um, you can kind of see where it crosses the river there, that they raised horses, they grew produce, and uh, they also squatted on public land. So that was part of the Northern Pacific's land grant from 1864. It hadn't been surveyed yet, but uh, they were there nonetheless. Here's a view of it from the general land office map, what it looked like there at, at the crossing. Back in, I don't remember the date that this was done, I want to say probably the late 19th century. And GLO maps, by the way, are very, very good resources if you're interested in places. And the BLM has a, a website that you can um, look at these things on, or else you can go bother my wife and Helena and look at the hard copies. But I recommend you look at the internet first because she's kind of cranky about those maps. <laughs> I can say that because she's not here today. And Jennifer, don't you say anything to her. <laughs> All right, here's another view um, of the area here. And then here's the Ford itself. Um, so really, you got to see it on a sunny day. It wasn't very good when I was there. The, uh, the smoke really hurt history a lot for me this summer because I couldn't take real good pictures. Here's uh, another view of the area, looking down the, or up the river. And then finally, um, really the only piece of the blacks that are still in that area is on the top of this little hill there. There's a cemetery that the black family established when, um, when William Black died. In 1893, he's buried on the hill next to his wife, who died in 1906. Uh, there's a miner there. One of the Black's daughters is also living there, and apparent or not living there, is buried there. <laughs> and then there's a 
And then there's several other occupants of the, of the cemetery on the hill above the crossing that uh, their names have been lost to history, unfortunately. I've heard rumors that one of them died by violence, but um, it, it was, I haven't been able to find anything to, to confirm that. There are markers up on the hill, yeah. Um, today, Black's Ford is a Montana Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access site and boat ramp. Um, but again, if you go stand along the river, there's a couple of rocks, I think, that might delineate where the actual ford is located. So if you get a chance, I really recommend on your way home tomorrow or whatever that you stop there. And again, once you went across the river, there's a dirt road there now that you can follow that. It's a county road all the way down to the down part of the canyon. Here's a, a view of it taken uh, in earlier times. And I believe there's a bridge in the background there, isn't there? That's um, called Red Bridge. And if you drive down Highway 84 now, you can still see one of the piers. Whoops, wrong button. Really the wrong button. There we go. You can see one of the piers of the... Is this the right one? God, this is a weird angle to look at this stuff. There we go. So you can see one of the piers from the old bridge that's sitting in the river still. That's all that's left of the red bridge. Um, it was built about 1890, I think, and then it uh, failed later on, and then the, uh, it was replaced by the bridge over the, uh, the, on the same alignment as the highway today, about in the 1950s, um, I believe. All right. Oh, wrong button again. Not very good. Another view of the old road down the rivers. And then we get to the spot. You know, then there's actually two alignments of the road. One's on the west side of the river and one's on the east side. When they uh, built the bridge across the, um, the steel bridge across the, uh, Madison, they um, changed the route of the road. But when the bridge went out, then they'd have to change it again back to the other side of the river where it is, where it is today. Ah, this is what I wanted to talk about. This little spot right down here. I nope, that's where the red bridge is about. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit uh, cattywampus here. It's throwing me off a little bit. All right, and this is what I wanted to talk about now because this really is a special site along the road. This is where Highway 84 crosses the Madison River today. There's a little um, a little fishing access site just off to the one end of the bridge. But what is really interesting is the stuff right here. Can you all see that up there? And then that little piece of that right there. And I think you can just barely see it on the other side. That's the site of Scanlon's Toll Bridge. It's about four, mil four miles southwest of the Ford. In December 1866, the third Montana legislature narrowly granted a license to brothers Milton and Robert Kennedy to build a toll road across the Madison River for, on a vote of 12 to nine. Um, I did do a little research to try and find out why the legislators, some legislators didn't want the toll bridge, but there's nothing in the records that I could find that explained it. Um, but we don't really know much about the brothers, other than the fact that they were born in Indiana in 1830, and in, or Indiana in 1830, and in Illinois in 1839, respectively, and that they both had an agricultural background. Now, the boys built this eight, well, there we go. This is a great thing. Here's what the Scanlon toll bridge looked like. We don't have a whole lot of photos of toll bridges either, so that again, this, this photo came from the Museum of the Rockies collection. 
The boys built this eight-span log bridge and began charging travelers tolls to use it in 1867. And fairly typical of toll bridges at that time, it was both king and queen post trusses. Those are they're right here. They had log crib um, piers that were filled with rocks. And it's these in here that are, are still visible in the river today. In 1869, the 1869-70 legislature dissolved all the toll companies, but allowed the counties to charter toll companies on their own, and then uh, oversee the operation of them through the counties rather than through the territorial legislature. The bridge continued to function as a toll bridge, even after the Kennedy brothers sold it to a miner, Paul Hayward, about 1873. The Kennedys left Montana, and they moved to Washington Territory, and they ran a flour mill in the Ellensburg area afterwards. There is some evidence that there was a small community called Lewis that had a post office that was located not too far from this bridge, but trying to find the precise location of Lewis has been somewhat of a challenge that I don't think I can justify using state time to do that on, which um, maybe when I get closer to retirement and they don't care what I'm doing, <laughs> would be the time to do it. All right, I think I went one page too far here. There we go. All right, so this is Scanlon's Toll Bridge. And then the river, the current uh, bridge is right about up in, up in this area here. All right. Now we don't really know much about the town of Lewis. We don't really know much about Paul Hayward other than the fact that he was a miner. Um, but we do know that Hayward sold the, the bridge to a man named John Scanlon in about 1883. And Scanlon operated the, uh, excuse me, Scanlon operated the toll bridge. Um, no, I'm sorry. He actually bought the toll bridge in the late 1870s. Um, my notes here. Okay, we know a little bit more about John Scanlon. He was born in Kentucky, 1841, came to Montana in 1874. He settled first at Bannock, then he moved to Helena, and he opened up livery stables in Helena and Virginia City and operated both simultaneously. He married a woman named Mary Bellis in Virginia City in 1875, and uh, but he seems to have spent most of his time in Helena at first and then moved to Virginia City permanently a little bit later and then he served as a city alderman there for, a, for just a short time in the late 1870s. At the Helena livery stable there was a description of it in the newspaper it said quote a man could get a fast horse or a slow one just as he chooses the stable is a good one as everyone knows who has occasion to patronize it. He also had interest in hard rock mines in northern Idaho and again, for a few short months, he was a city alderman in Virginia City. Now, what I've tried to, or what I've discovered is that I think actually Scanlon bought the bridge, but he leased it to somebody else to actually operate. It doesn't seem like he was actually involved with the day-to-day -day operation of this, of this structure. But by the early 1880s, the bridge had pretty much gained a reputation as being run down and decrepit. So, Scanlon being a, like any sensible businessman, here's another view of it on the GLO map. I think you can see it uh, right up here on unsurveyed land. There's Scanlon's toll bridge. Um, 
Then October 1883, he got tired of running the bridge. He tried to sell it unsuccessfully, but by that time he was operating a hotel in nearby Red Bluff, and he did manage to sell the hotel. He sold everything. He sold the sheets, he sold the stoves, the plates, the forks, the every, everything that was inside that hotel, and then made the claim that it really was a pretty good business because stagecoaches stopped there regularly on their run to uh, Virginia City, and they would spend the night there in the wintertime. Here's a view of what Scanlon's toll bridge looks, site looks like today. You can drive down and actually walk right up to the old bridge approaches and look out across the river on the route that the bridge took. I don't know if anybody but a historian from the Department of Transportation would ever do that though. <laughs> so, another view of it. All right. Uh, this is all, Scanlon chose about the right time to get out of Montana. Just a few years after he uh, sold off his hotel, high water on the, or excuse me, um, uh, high, or ice on the Madison River, took out the Scanlon toll bridge in 1886 and it was never rebuilt. But in the process, it's left behind the only physical evidence that we have of any toll bridge from the 1860s and 70s in Montana. This is the only place you can go and actually see where the bridge was located. Another view of it. Nice, nice smoky day. No bikini hat either. No, no, no. I, I was looking. I was trying to add a little bit of. I wanted to add a little bit of color to it. Uh, so. <laughs> All right. Okay. On down the road a little bit, here you can see the approach to the bridge. Again, it's something only a department historian would be interested in, I'm sure. It's right here. You can just barely see a little bit of discoloration. If you get on Google Earth, you can see it. I think you can see it a lot better. All right. Move along the road here. The next segment down from uh, the bridge down to uh, Norris, along Hot Springs Creek. And uh, kind of Red Bluff is um, the Red Bluff extension is right about or Red Bluff is right about there. You can still go there. The stage stop was located there until just a few years ago, and then it burned down, and uh, unfortunately. But I want you to keep. There's a little aside in history that I think Project Archaeology might like. When I was looking at GLO maps, I don't know if you can see it. Right, right there. I know what happened to Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Jack the Ripper moved to Montana and was homesteading on Hot Springs Creek in 1909. Because there he is, he's right there on the map, you know, Jack the Ripper. So I was pretty excited about that. I thought, aha, I can get my own History Channel, you know, special now. That I can say, Jack the Ripper, what happened, the whole story. Well, I did a little bit of checking because I was kind of curious as how the heck could a guy get the name Jack the Ripper? And uh, unfortunately, Jack the Ripper never officially was there. So there is no record of him in the, uh, the general land office things. It never looks like he, anybody ever made an application for a homestead in this area. So he was obviously squatting on public land at that point. And in 1916, the government withdrew it from public entry anyway. 
So I guess, all in all, Jack the Ripper is still lost to history because we still don't know who he is. But, uh, but I'd be kind of curious as to know how this gentleman, if he was a gentleman, got his uh, nickname and got his, got his uh, cabin mentioned on the, on the map. Maybe I'll write an article about that for extreme history. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, we might be able to help you out with that. All right. All right. Uh, here's Red Bluff. Um, looks quite a bit different now. The highway today is pretty much right. There's the old stage station there, and there's the highway pretty much follows it up through here. So there was a, a, one of the buildings that's still left down here, but now it's an MSU extension service um, or um, agricultural experiment station there today. All right, let's keep moving along. Now, one of the parts that I like the best, how many of you go down the road to Norris and then go over the hill down to Ennis? Yeah. Next time you do that, stop at the little turnout on top of the hill. And we've got a nice, you know, one of those great highway historical markers up there. And um, it's really well written, of course, <laughs> and very informative. But if you look off to the, uh, the left of the marker as you're coming looking down towards Annis, you'll notice something that I think a lot of people have noticed over the years, but maybe didn't know what it was. And what they are is remnants of the old trail between Bozeman and Virginia City, the, Bo the Bozeman Trail, essentially. And it was part of a toll road that operated from Virginia City northward up into uh, the little town of a mining camp of Sterling. And so not the whole trail between Virginia City and Bozeman was a, was a toll road, but at least a little part of it was. The toll road system was started in 1865 by the legislature. They didn't have any money to build roads. They had no way to tax people at first to build roads. So what they did was they set out, the, uh, um, they gave licenses to people who offered to build roads and bridges and then they could charge tolls for their use as long as they kept those facilities in good, in good shape. A lot of them didn't, but most of them did. It was a very lucrative business at that time because there was a lot of traffic on these roads. And so somebody who operated a toll road could make a lot of money in a short amount of time. Uh, the best example is the uh, little prickly pear wagon road north of Helena. It went through Wolf Creek Canyon. The uh, gentleman who bought that license from a couple of other guys um, spent $40,000 improving it. $40,000 in 1864 is an awful lot of money. And uh, within two years, they made all their money back. So you can kind of get an idea of how much money you could make on these roads. So it really behooved them to take good care of them because if they didn't, the, the legislature could yank those licenses and give it to somebody else. So anyway, the road up across Norris Hill, that is part of the old Virginia City to Sterling toll road that was established in 1865. All right, right along, here's a, another view of the road. And then here's what the ruts look like today. So you get up there, you can also see different places where the road may have changed its alignment over time. Because there are a couple sets of ruts up there. And, um, but it's also probably one of the more scenic areas of Montana as well. So we do know that the Virginia City to Sterling Toll Road was, um, owned and operated by two men, a man named um, Sam Bressler, who operated a whiskey shop in Virginia City. Um, 
You could go there for free samples, which to me seems like that would be a very dangerous thing to do in a whiskey store, but nonetheless, you could, you could do it. You knew how to find this place because they had a big white whiskey barrel hanging over the business across the sidewalk. Ellen, have you run into that place? Sam Bressler's? All right. Um, 1966 article in the Montana Post said that he had the best brands of liquor in his new store on Wallace Street and those who fill the, the flowing bowl with the pure article and no other can purchase it by calling upon Sam and examining his samples. I think that would be a dangerous place for anybody in a mining camp, especially if you weren't a very successful miner. Um, Robert Hodge was the, or Robert Hedge was the other operator of the toll road. We know a little bit less about him other than the fact that he was a miner, that he lived in Nevada City, and that he may have served in the first Montana militia. But that's about all we know about them. Um, in 1869-1870, the 7th, Le 7th legislature t repealed all the toll road charters, and um, including this one, and it ceased operating as a toll road in 1871. But again, you can really see the road very well from the top of Norris Hill, and it's really worth the walk. And you know, you don't have to read the marker because you won't hurt my feelings if you don't. But, but I may stop and take a picture of you if you are, just to prove that somebody's reading them. So, but um, I did that once, and the lady thought I was a creeper. <laughs> and after I thought about it, I said, I bet I did look like a creeper. Can I take your picture looking at the sign? So I can use it in PowerPoint. You know? she, was, she was very nice, but I had to show her I was driving a state car, too, so that she didn't think I was just some bum. There's a lot of adventure in history. <laughs> And it can be dangerous. <laughs> so there's another view. I haven't done that since, by the way. Somebody wrote an article once, said if somebody's looking at you while you're looking at historical markers, it's probably John. And I thought, <laughs> I think I've, I may have given the wrong impression to somebody. Here's another view, little aside here. Um, and then finally, the section I'm going to talk about is from Norris Hill on down to uh, Virginia City, and where the road terminated. And this is really the best segment of the road. And if you ever get a chance to stop up and look at it, um, I would really, really recommend it. This road has all the characteristics of a frontier highway or a frontier built road. Here's a view of it on the GLO map. It's, uh, I believe, right up in this area here. Sorry, I can see from this angle anyway. Um, when you look at this road today, and yeah, I get shivers, up, you know me, a highway historian would get this too, they get shivers up and down their spine standing on this road looking up towards the mountains. This is the road here today. Looks pretty much like it did in the 1860s. It displays all the characteristics of a frontier road and the width that it's kind of sunken. It isn't engineered, it just kind of grew from use. So all the, the, all the obstacles and other problems in it, they just moved off to the side. You can still see that today. And when you stand there, you need to imagine John Bozeman and John Jacobs blazing this route in 1863. And then you have to imagine all the freight wagons stagecoaches, people on mules, on horses, on footback, that, or, on horse, or on foot that are shanks mare that were using this route at one time. 
And then especially, and I like, I think I thank Ellen for this, that in March 1864, you have to stand here and imagine Virginia Slade racing her black stallion, Billy Bay, down this road in a futile attempt to save her husband from the hangman's rope. This is all a road really steeped in Montana history, and you can go up there and see it. Montana Post wrote about it in 1867. It says, quote, have you noticed the graded road leading over the Madison Range from the head of Cover Street, Cooper Street. That is the new toll road for which Mr. Robert Hedge received a charter last winter. Notwithstanding the annulment, I can explain that here in a second, he, was a large, he has a large force employed in grading the road and reducing the distance 30 to 26 miles between Virginia City and Sterling. The new work is required to open it. The rates allowed are $1 for wagon and single span and 25 cents extra for each additional span. Mr. Hedge will have no difficulty on collecting tolls on that road. And again, this is one of my most favorite segments of historic road in Montana. Another view of it. Last summer we went up there with a group of school teachers and then had cars actually driving up and down it. So I could, you know, it was kind of ironic, I think, when I'm telling people this is an old abandoned road and you've got, there was somebody living in a wall tent just up the road a little ways. But we didn't get close to the tent because I didn't want anybody getting shot at while they were visiting Montana. Didn't want them to have that Montana experience. <laughs> Another view of what some of the uh, structure looks like next to the road with the rocks. I mean, these are all like Topsy from, from Uncle Tom's Cabin. They weren't engineered, they just kind of growed. And so you won't see anything really fancy on them. They just built them just to be um, utilitarian. And then finally, one of my favorite quotes taken from this period was written in 1864 by a failed prospector named George Foreman, not the one that, to, that invented the grill. <laughs> It said, quote, on the high ridge, I turned and looked, took, a look, took a last look at Virginia City and cursed the place in the day I had seen it, all my high hopes there being blasted. Well, that quote must have been written very close to where this segment of road is located today. Because if you do stand on it and do look down towards Virginia City, you do get your last look at the mining camp before you head up the hill um, to get away from it. So what I really wanted to talk about today, a lot of it was just, uh, oh, and this, anybody interested in this? Do I have time? Yeah. Yeah, I got two minutes. So for a while, there was another trail system in Montana that were named highways that were built for automobiles in the 1910s and 20s. They didn't have road numbers, they had names. And the road over Norris Hill was part of the Great White Way. And just recently, somebody, whoops, somebody, found this trailblazer in the, the barrel pit next to the road up there, marking the route of the Great White Way. And I've wanted to knock him down and take it ever since. <laughs> but I can't do it because I work with him, so maybe he'll retire before I do. But I also just wanted to say in conclusion that Montana history is really more than just old buildings and special places. Sometimes there's other places. Roads can be just as special and just give you the same, invoke the same type of uh, I don't want to say nostalgia, but, but feeling of what Montana was like and how people built the roads and what they had to do to travel them. And then take that in mind, or keep that in mind when you drive out to the Madison, out to the Madison River from Bozeman 
down into Virginia City that just stop and take a look and you can see a lot of what the people saw 150 years ago except for the floaters and the bikinis and all that other stuff. <laughs>